Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have Robert up to the stage for our joke. Robert. Hello, family. I'm an alcoholic. My name is Robert. Recovered alcoholic. All right. Now, this is a high-end bar we're talking about here. You know, a nice place. Guy goes in, he's got an overcoat on, sits down at the bar, pulls out of the pocket of his overcoat a um, mason jar, puts it on the bar. Bartender comes over, says, I'll have a martini, please. So the bartender mixes the martini, brings it over. It's one of those places that gives you three olives, you know what I mean? <laughs> they get all saturated with gin. Anyway, so he takes the olives off, puts them in the mason jar. He orders another martini, and the bartender brings it over. Same thing. He takes the spear out and puts the three olives into the mason jar and consumes the martini. Orders a third martini. The bartender makes the martini, comes over with it, brings it. The, the man takes the spear out and puts the olives in the mason jar and continues to start to drink his martini. But the bartender has just had it by now. You know, he just, what's going on here? He says, sir, you know, is there anything wrong with our olives? He says, they're always fresh. The man said, well, no, of course not. My wife sent me out for a jar of olives.
Thank you, Robert. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise and that might slash will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. Ask God to help you stay focused on the step study. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start that meditation. for the fog light prayer if you don't know it it's right up here God let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost sick and dying can find your love through me there is a solution from the big book page 17 the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution we have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action this is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked David to come up here and read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 Steps is to have one, a spiritual experience. So it's kind of important to know what one is. David. There. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheaval. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. 
in the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational virility, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think that this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover. Provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts, he can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of this program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you. Or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane meeting mode or just turn them off. Now it is my pleasure, my privilege, to introduce our effervescent speaker, Doc. I got you. Bubbly drink here. Again, uh, Doc is a, a great uh, member of Alcoholics Anonymous. He's somebody that always brings uh, a message of recovery, and I'm excited to hear what he has to share with us tonight. Doc. boy, a new straw. <laughs> Doc Alcoholic. Play in the big room. I like that. That's good. It's, oh, boy. That's, it's Charlie the Tuna this time. We want tuna that tastes good. Oh, man, am I happy to be here. I thank God they wrote this all down. I thank God they wrote it down in the big book. I thank God they wrote it down in the 12 and 12, and uh, because I would be confused if that's all I had to work with. Um, those are awesome. Those 12 steps are awesome. They're all I need. In fact, uh, I'm doing a big book study at 4D, and if you only got uh, 
if, if you were on a desert island and part of the big book washed up and the only part that washed up on shore was the forward to the second edition, you would still have enough in that to get sober. Because it, it tells you all the fundamentals that, that these break down, you know. It's amazing. And, and what I find with the more years I study this is that, that these 12 steps are, are really not 12 steps at all. It's, it's one continuous wheel. And these are, are 12 spokes on it. And to try to separate one from the other is, is it, you're not going to get the full potential that's there. The big book talks about 8 and 9 as one thing. You know, it talks about 10 and 11 as one, one thing. It says that we do this in the morning and this in the evening. And then you have uh, new people that are getting into the studies come up and go, well, where does 10 end and 11 begin? I don't know. Where does the circle begin and where does it end? Right? That's why we have that symbol, by the way, the circle with the triangle. Is uh, Bill explained it at one point, that that's... A circle that has no beginning and no end. It is, it is the 12 steps. It is the, the oroboso, the snake biting its own tail. That when you get to the end, suddenly you're at the beginning again and you didn't understand why. I mean, the real way that I can admit that I was powerless and understand what unmanageability is, is after I have a spiritual awakening. And then I go, oh my gosh. I can see what one is clearly. And then all of a sudden I'm in two. And we're in five this week. But five is really interestingly the mortar that holds four and six together. Right? They go, no, no, it's sitting down and telling your life story. <laughs> go, yeah, right. It all began in a small town in the Midwest. <laughs> when... You know, John and Isla walked into the hospital together. That's, that's not really the fifth step, right? It was great. I took a, um, in college, I, I, I messed around a lot um, before I dropped out, right? That first, that first year. We don't call it dropping out. We're calling it temporarily changing majors, right? And uh, I, I really only dropped out because I got, PO'd that I had to wait in line to register and to try to get, you know, aid, financial aid. And after waiting for like an hour in line, I said, screw it, I'm, I'm going to go get stoned. So I did. <laughs> and then in my mind, I go, I'll just, I'll just attend the classes anyway, which is what I did. And I don't know how I was figuring that was all going to count at the end. But it's like, well, you know, I got it. So, you know, I didn't have to pay for it. There you go. And uh, one of those things, I took this great little uh, class on, on comedy, and uh, they gave us, years ago in the 60s and 70s, they, uh, the newspapers on Sunday, they had a supplement called Parade Magazine, and it was this little newspaper, printed, newsprint magazine, color magazine. And, and on the back for, for decades, there was an article called My Favorite Jokes. And so the teacher had a, a stack of these sheets of my favorite jokes. And uh, what we were supposed to do is go through that, uh, make copies of the ones we wanted, and then to tell our life story through a series of jokes. 
right? Which was hilarious, you know. I was, and then, then I joined the army. Then I went to the war. You heard of the war. It was in all the papers. I mean, it was really awful, awful cornball stuff. And that is exactly what I hear in probably 75% of the first time fist steps that I sit down to listen to, you know, is, is the corny things that happened to me when I was a kid and then all my sexual conquests as a young adult. And that's my fifth step right there. Oh, man, this is why we need to read the book, right? Now, we finished four. This is William James's book, by the way. If, you, if you're not reading it, you should be. Um, we finished four last week, and my buddy Pat pointed out um, a really nice little, a little uh, tidbit that I had not looked at, which is right before the uh, fourth invisible column on page 67, where it starts at the bottom of 66, this was our course, um, it, it, it doesn't say what was our part. So it just asks, uh, like, uh, I believe it says, where does it say, Pat? Where we were at fault? Yeah, where were we at fault? Right, at, at 67. So it doesn't say what was our part. It just says where were we at fault. And that's, that's great. And, and it, may, it, it may seem minor to some of you, but, but I think every word here is important. Right? I, I, I have no doubt that that, that second tradition took hold in writing both of these books, that God manifest himself through the group conscience and through their editorship and uh, their guidance with, with Bill, that these words don't really need to be changed, and they haven't through four or five editions. So um, now, now we've got stuff we can follow. Um, one of the strong parts that ends four, that leads us into five, is on 49 and the 12 and 12. Because we had talked about, uh, you know, the, the desires in us that are God-given, and then they grow cancerous, and then they demand more than we can possibly provide or that are due us. That, that, that basically says there's never enough of everything. Right? Of sex, of drugs, of money, of power, of prestige, etc., etc. There's never enough. And, and we're asked early on, you know, what, what do you want to be happy? Well, I just want to make enough money uh, that I, I don't suffer. How much is that? More, 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 right? It's never enough. Just enough for, uh, I don't live anywhere, so just enough for an apartment or just enough for a house or just enough for a house and a new car and a boat. Swimming pools, movie stars, you know, all, it just, it's never enough because it's cancerous. And then we have God when it says resize us, make us right size. He, he wants to get these, these God-given desires down. And we talked about how they drive us blindly, demanding. It says all these failings generate fear, a soul sickness in its own right. Then fear in turn generates more character defects, right? So it's a negative wheel, right? I have, I have these, these failings, these cancerous desires that demand more than will ever satisfy them, and that creates a fear that they'll never be enough, right? Uh, uh, 
friend of mine and I were talking about the fear of, of being abandoned, right? Whether it's by my best friend or my sponsor or my, my employer or my lover or etc. I, I, I start growing this fear that they're going to leave me and I'm, I'm not going to have enough, right? And that fear then, what? Is a soul sickness in its own right. The, the book later calls it a, a corrosive thread that's shot through the fabric of our lives. Then fear in turn generates more character defects, which in turn generate more fear, which in turn generates more character defects. Which in turn, and then we go, how do I get off this hamster wheel? I know, I'll drink. That's a great way. I will interrupt, I'll break the chain, right? I'll interrupt the process by drinking until I fall down. And then fear is gone. Therefore, character defects are gone, right? So I'm good to go. Makes perfect sense to me. It says, however, this unreasonable fear, what's the difference between healthy fear and unreasonable fear? Well, healthy fear is, is fear of things that will hurt you, right? It's, you should be fearful of walking in the middle of US-1, right? That, that would be unhealthy. And the opposite of that is walking on the sidewalk. You should not fear that. That would be healthy, right? But an unhealthy fear is where you're afraid of doing it or doing the exact opposite. That both choices, a dilemma, die, right? Choice of two, lemma, choice, die, two. The dilemma is that both of them generate fear. So I'm afraid that I'm going to be hooked up with a partner that doesn't appreciate me and won't love me as much as I love them and or they're too controlling or they're too demanding and I'm afraid I'm going to get caught up with someone that wants more than me and so this, this, a relationship is just generating fear. On the other hand, I'm afraid I will never meet anyone, that I'll be alone my whole life, right? Or, I, I, you know, I'm afraid that I'm unemployable. I'm also afraid that I'm going to be locked down to a go-nowhere, do-nothing job that will bore me forever. I'm afraid of both sides. Well, what would cure that? Um, a job that continually provides everything I need. Well, what's that? More, 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 more. There's no definition to how much I need in my soul sickness, right? So, so that's what page 49 is talking about. Unreasonable fear that our instincts will not be satisfied drives us to covet the possession of others. Right? Not, not to be healthily envious, which is what drives society forward, right? Is I see that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living around the cave fire, right? And, and with my clan, and, and I see that, uh, that uh, uh, Joe over here has collected six berries. And the women of the tribe are quite impressed with that because I only collected two berries and I can't get their attention any longer. And uh, so tomorrow I'm going to collect more than six berries. I got a fish. However, Joe had three fish. And so all the women of the tribe are still watching Joe. And as it progresses, eventually Joe has killed the bear and he has the skin and the meat and the fat and the bones and, and all of this. And not only do, are all the women attracted to Joe, but also they want to make Joe the head of the tribe, right? But my 
my healthy envy drives me to try to do a little bit better than Joe. But not to hit him over the head with a rock and steal his bear meat. Right? But when we're sick, that's what coveting others, the the possessions of others is. You know? Or, rather than that, what we usually do is go, anybody can, can buy a Porsche. That doesn't make a man. You know? It's not, I don't care. I walk. I'm healthy. You know? I'm better. I'm better. You know the difference between a Porsche and a cactus, right? In the cactus, the pricks are on the outside. See? <laughs> right? That's still coveting. Well, I do that in sobriety. Shame on you. Right? Drives us to covet, to lust for sex. Not in this program. I've never seen that happen here. Ever. It's always been a very selfless, never mind, and lust for power. First time they asked me to speak, I think I was six months sober, I called my parents. I said, right? I go, hey, not only am I sober, they're already asking me to speak to the group and set them all straight. That's how much I know. I'm, I'm on this. Oh, my God, that was so bad. The unreasonable fear that our instincts will not be satisfied drives us to become angry when our instinctive demands are threatened or to be envious when the ambitions of others seem to be realized while ours are not. We eat, drink, and grab for more of everything than we need, fearing we shall never have enough. And with genuine alarm at the prospect of work, we stay lazy. Right? I just don't want to do it. That's what my friend was saying tonight. He goes, wow, that is such a powerful feeling inside of us. I just don't want to do it. I can come up with 20 really logical and and intellectual reasons why I am incapable of doing this, but it all boils down to the fact that I just don't want to do it, right? And it's right here in the book. Genuine alarm at the prospect of work. Emotional work, mental work, spiritual work. It doesn't have to be physical work. We stay lazy. We loaf and procrastinate. Oh, my sponsor said do it. Or at best, work grudgingly. And under half steam. I guess if I have to. These fears are the termites. How beautiful. Termites that ceaselessly devour the foundation of whatever sort of life we try to build. Let me get to step five. And it says, admitted. Oh God, this is that admitted thing again. This is how we started. This is what got me in trouble to begin with. But now I'm not admitting to myself because I came in, self was first. Me, oh yeah, and then I I also think of others and, oh, third, God is in my life. But five switches that and puts God first. Admitted to God. When was the last time I admitted to God? When have I really been honest with anyone? The book says, you know, doctors tried to help us. And they couldn't because we were never honest with them. 
whether that's mental doctors or, or spiritual doctors or physical doctors, they go, how are you doing this? Oh, I'm fine. That part's great. You know, do you ever do that? No, I never do that. Um, why? What do you prescribe if I do that? Right? <laughs> what, what pain level do I need to say to get what I want, right? Seven or above, then I'm a nine. Admitted to God first. Oh my God, honesty, I hate this. Then to ourselves and then to another human being. So see what they did there? They didn't just instantly say, you have to be third now. They slowly adjusted it till we got to five. We were looking at ourselves and all of a sudden I'm not as pretty as I thought I was, right? Because I started with a resentment list. And then as I prayed my way into it, basically to forgive all these people, I started seeing where I was in this beautiful play of life. And I started looking at myself kind of clearly now, going, oh my goodness, I am not the victim, I'm the perpetrator. So now I don't want to be first. I kind of want to step back a little bit. So we just easily move God first. Admitted to God, then admit to yourself then to another human being. So now it's God first, I'm second, and others are third. And like I said before, when we get to 12, it'll be God, others, and me. And I'll be third, and I'll be in the right position to express the highest level of being a human, which is service, which is to be of that universal consciousness of ethics that I will help everyone before I help myself regardless of whether I agree with them or even like them. And most of us never reach that level, but that's what we're, we're trying to get to, according to William James. All right? That is the essence of a religious experience, of a spiritual awakening. Um, when we get to five in the big book, it has a, a... It starts an entirely new chapter, Right? It says, having made our personal inventory, what should we do about it? God, I love how it asks the same questions that my brain is asking, right? So, okay, I wrote all this down. I prayed for him. Now what? We've been trying to get a new attitude because we talked about that. Our attitude is what makes this all work. I was mentioning this in the big book study, too. Um, I don't care which spiritual tome you read. Right? If you're Jewish, read the Torah. If you're Christian, read the Gospels and the Torah, right? The whole Bible. If, if you're Muslim, read the Quran. But any of those things, it doesn't matter what you're getting out of it. It doesn't matter if you understand it. What it does is it puts your mind in a position that you are studying what you believe to be deep spiritual text. And when you do that, your attitude changes. And when your attitude changes with that, you suddenly your mind is open to take this real simple stuff laid out in less than 200 pages. Really simple stuff. So, so study whatever your favorite spiritual books are or book and open your mind, man, like Elvis. Open your mind, Elvis. Big. Got a, got a big mind. We're trying to create to get a new attitude. Because, remember it said, with this attitude, you cannot fail. That's in the, in the 12 and 12, right? I think it's 6, yeah? With this attitude, you cannot fail. 
We're trying to get a new relationship with our creator. That would be faith. And to discover, here it comes again, the obstacles in our path. What path? Remember the path we got onto with two and three, right? We crossed over. We left the Plato's cave allegory, and we crossed over the bridge of reason. And then there was that gap where only spirituality and totally letting go and being spiritually weightless lifted us to the shore of, of spir- the spiritual shore. And then we walk up to the door, and then we need the key of willingness to open it. And through the door, there's a path, and there's a sign that said, this is a way to a faith that works. There are hundreds, if not infinite numbers of faiths in our life, right? I have a relationship with my lover, with money, with power, with prestige, but none of those led me, they never worked for me. They never freed me from this burden of needing to get high to break that cycle of fear. And there's a sign that says, here's a path to a faith that works. So I start taking that path. And now here I am at five and it says, We're trying to discover the obstacles in our path. So the metaphor continues here, right? We've admitted certain defects. We have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We have put our finger on the weak items of our personal inventory. Now, these are about to be cast out. We're We're moving the weak things so we can get through, right? This requires action. This requires work. And we can't be begrudging, we can't be lazy like we were with the disease. Requires action on our part, which when completed will mean that we have admitted to God. When we've moved these things, we've done five. Right? It's amazing. We move the the things that are in our way, the stuff we discovered in four... And when, we, when, when, we've, when they're completed, when we've moved it out and made the path clear, we've admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. And that's the fifth step, right? It says out of, uh, in the 12 and 12, it says, when it comes to ego deflation, few steps are harder to take than five. But scarcely any step is more necessary to long-term sobriety. And peace of mind than this one. Um, someone was ragging me about a year ago. You and your aunt, it's a, a, a drunk trying to get sober, right, was ragging on me. You and your AA resentment lists. I don't see how that helps anyone. They go, well, I don't know, but I've been 30 years, uh, you know, 29 years uh, uh, successful with that. Yeah, well, I have. 30 years sobriety myself over a 40-year period. <laughs> Go, oh, that, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I've known a lot of people that do that. But it's that long-term sobriety we're after, right? It's a, it's a, it's, it, I know it becomes a big deal to us, unbroken. It, it, you know, in, in the way the universe works, it doesn't really matter, right? Whether I have a drink every year or every 10 years or Every day, for that matter, it doesn't really matter in, in the scheme of, of the big consciousness. But I go continuously without a drink because I'm living this strange philosophy of a 24-hour life span. And that my life ends when I die into sleep and then I'm reborn when I wake up 
every morning. It's a very, it's a very interesting and ancient concept to live one day at a time. And then each day I start out again anew. Each day I start trying this faith, this communication with God, right? And, and each day I kind of go through this stuff. Well, anybody can go through the book and, and, and help you understand what's going on in step five. But I can tell you some of the secret things here, all right? That it, it's not just telling my life story. Although, if you tell your life story, you may realize that every single thing you did in your life is somehow connected to your alcoholism, right? Whether before you started drinking or not, you look back and you go, what's the, what's the common denominator? Well, first, me. But then secondly, it's me loving me more than anyone or anything else, right? Even though I despise myself compared to anyone else, I still force myself to love myself more or to pretend that I love myself more. And therefore, to get my desires met, I will step on small children and women to get to it. So don't get in my way. And I'll be quite polite, you know, because I'm really a good guy down deep inside like we all are. But if you stand between me and what I need in life, and, you know, almost 30 years ago, that was another drink or a bomb, or, you know, Robert and I were talking about the magic of second all and two and alls and all the, there was a wonderful period in the life of an addict. <laughs> and, and, and I don't want that anymore. I want to be free. It's funny how atheists will incorporate scripture into their daily conversations and not know where it came from, Right. I mean, you can go to weird things like, you know, uh, give up the ghost, right, which means to die. Well, that's, that's you know, that's Old Testament stuff. Even, even, even Shakespeare stole that one. Or, uh, hey, man, man doesn't live by bread alone. Yeah, well, that's only half of it, right? No, he lives by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Oh, okay, I didn't mean to get in that. But then one of the great ones they use is, hey, the truth will set you free. You go, and so many people just throw that down. They don't know where it's from or what it means. Actually, that's not what it says. It says, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free, right? It'll change you into a free person. What will? The truth. Now, I'm not getting into I am the truth and the light and the way all that. I'm talking about the AA truth in this book, right? Where it says, and we talked about this last week, truth is not subjective, Truth is pure and solid, right? So what is true is true yesterday. It'll be true tomorrow. My view of it may be skewed, and your view of it may be from a different angle. Six blind men, this is Hindu. Six blind men describing an elephant, right? This is a a Hindu uh, allegory. And one feels the trunk and says, oh, it's like a snake. And one feels the leg and says, oh, an elephant's like a tree. And one feels the tail and says, no, it's like a worm. And one feels the tusk and says, no, it's a... And they, continue, they all describe different areas that they can feel. Oh, the, feel the side. It's like a wall. An elephant's a big wall. They're all somewhat correct. So we can all look at the truth from different viewpoints and see the part of the truth that we can see. 
But what we're trying to do is from a spiritual aspect, be raised up and look down on it, right? It's one of the great lessons in, in uh, Hinduism was uh, the Maya. Maya is a, uh, uh, a sea of confusion, right? George Harrison, anybody know who George Harrison was? Right? Beware, Maya. Maya is, is, is uh, it's just being confused over everything, right? And the spiritual God that the big book talks about is the opposite of confusion. So one of the great teachings is if you're lost in the forest and you don't know which way to turn, how can you escape? If you go this direction, you don't even know what direction that is. And you could go deeper into the forest. Or if you go behind you, you can't find your way out or forward. How can you get out? Well, there's a very simple and easy method. It just doesn't occur to us because it doesn't seem within our capabilities. And that's to rise up about 50 or 60 feet is all. Right? Go 50 or 60 feet and you can see the way out of the forest. But you don't go 60 or 50 feet in a direction. You rise straight up 50 or 60 feet and look out over the whole forest from what they used to call a bird's eye view. It's now a drone's eye. By the way, I was thinking, we can use drones to find that skunk ape down in the Everglades, can't we? Right? Yeah. Our own Floridian Bigfoot. Yeah. It's awesome. Right? So, so what is five going to do? Five is going to generate honesty in me the first time I'm truly honest. So I pray for this honesty to come out. What happens is when I open up and become honest... The honesty starts working with the willingness. The willingness I got at step two to open the door is willingness that was manufactured by open-mindedness. Uh, I talked to a fellow Monday night, and it was so funny. It, you know, I, I suggested he do this, and he goes, well, I'll give it a try. And I said, see, the open-mindedness instantly caused you to be willing. You were open-minded enough to hear what I suggested because he was having trouble with God. He was still locked in the God, just the, the, the spirit of the universe. And he was trying to get like a personal relationship with some sort of God that he could communicate with. But he's still kind of lost in God is everywhere. So I made a couple suggestions. And he says, instantly he goes, okay, I'll try it. I said, see, you were open-minded in asking me. And instantly what followed was willingness to try it. Now, when we start mixing honesty with this, we start getting a form of humility. By the time we get to step seven, it gives us the third magic ingredient that will purify the humility, which is really powerful medicine to our, to our alcohol addiction or all addictions or all problems. Or as the book says, problems other than alcohol in step six, right? And that pure... Humility is, is the balm of Gilead. It's, it's the cure-all that, that heals all wounds. But we get introduced to it in five, in a, in a form of humility. The secret ingredient, by the way, I won't wait, make you wait, is, is you take willingness and honesty and mix that, and then you mix in a desire to seek and do God's will. It says that final ingredient that's often lacking in humility, you mix it together and you get this pure humility. See, it's all, it's all metaphysical allegories. It's all alchemy. Right? So this humility is going to be generated, and it's explained on page 58. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, since there's not a big clock. 
in the back of the room any longer. Look at my little clock here. Um, page 56 in the 12 and 12 starts, it starts talking about, you know, uh, old timers sober for years often pay dearly for skimping this step, for not doing this step with everything they have, right? There's, a, there's another great scriptural saying that says, uh, uh, when Paul says, you, you haven't done your, practiced your faith to the point of blood yet. Well, what does that mean, right? It means that, like, we do work, but we don't do work to the point of, like, 100%. You know, we're willing to do spiritual stuff, but only so far as it gets us what we want to get, right? But, but that's not why we're here, and I've said that before. That's not why I'm here 29.9 years later, is to try to get more out of not drinking, right? To get enough to not drink. I'm trying to get to a position where I can spiritually rise up above all the confusion that, that seeps into my life. And find God, have God lift me up and see the easy paths out, right? I want to be the highest human being I can be before I die. And I know that, that service is what brings that out. Service to other human beings, right, brings that out. And so we're all, because, you know, basically I'm a self-centered prick. I want what I want. And I may have a wonderfully golden heart. And I, I'm a born romantic, right? I, you know, I, in, in my 20s, I, I was a mixture between uh, Jack Nicholson's character in Easy Rider, who was George Hansen, the drunk, neek, 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 and, and Tom Waits. So I wore a crumpled suit and, and put a lot of uh, pomade in my hair and carried uh, those little half pints were perfect for carrying around. But you had to go get a new one about, you know, three or four times a day because they were small. Right? And that's what I thought. I was just a romantic. I was a, I was a Charles Bukowski living example of poetry, man. You know? And that's all I wanted to be was drunk and high. That was great. You know? Smell like Aquavel. You know, and I smoked Lucky Strikes, man. I was in it. I was in it deep, and I thought I'd be dead by forty. And then God said, "You know what? Time of play is over. Time to put away the toys of of children and and pick up the tools of men." Oh man, does that mean getting sober? I'm afraid so, Doc. It means getting sober. So I'm sober, and I'm still feeling these things. Irritability, anxiety, remorse. I'm feeling fear, self-pity, hurt feelings, hurt pride, anger. I'm, I, 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 I have delusions of grandeur. Oh, we'll get back to that. Right? I lack honesty. My, my sponsor used to say, Doc, you are spring-loaded to lie. You know? Somebody comes too close to you, snap. You will lie when it's easier to tell the truth. But you're already spring-loaded to lie. Right? I will say Tuesday when it happened on a Wednesday. 
Honest to goodness. And I don't know why that comes out that way. And then they go, really? So did you, when, when you were having barbecue on Tuesday night, you saw the band there, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> why? Why didn't I just say Wednesday? I don't know. Spring-loaded to lie, right? Dishonesty. It's not so bad now. But it, it's still in there, right? It's still in there. Well, when did you know them? Oh, back in... I, had, I actually had a brief love affair with her in 1967. Really? Dude, you were eight. Oh. <laughs> Maybe it was 97. She was dead by then. Well, I don't remember all the details. Delusions of grandeur. You know that that is schizophrenia right there. If you have delusions, you are schizophrenic. And let me tell you, you have delusions. You, one of the things that, that Abram Hoffer found, who, the great psychiatrist that, termed the, uh, that coined the term hallucin, uh, uh, psychedelic, sorry, because he did uh, experiments with LSD. Most of what you heard about Bill Wilson and LSD is probably wrong, right? And so look up Abram Hoffer. And one of the things that Abram Hoffer did was he studied, he's the guy that studied the, the alcoholics and said, the only thing I can find that y'all have in common, it's not, it's not that your father left at an early age, it's not that you were emotionally abused before this age, I can't find any Freudian connections, I can't find any of that stuff, right? I can't find that you came from a certain economic level, either high or low, I can't find that you had a lack of religion or too much religion, I can't find any of that as a common thread. But I did find three things, right? I found that you are all Overly sensitive. What? Me? I am not. Say, right? Overly sensitive. What do you mean by that? Chris, you're looking right at me, dude. What does that mean? Right? Or I don't say it. I just go home with it. God, Chris was looking right at me the whole time. I don't know. That's freaky. That's weird. Right? Overly sensitive. And that's true. That's not just in what you do. It's everything. It's everything. Spinal tap. Right? All of our senses, the five known, and then there are others, right? Hearing, an 11, turned up to 11, right? Smells, turned up to 11. There's, there's no doubt that we, we can smell out people getting high, right? And I'm not just talking about the skunkweed that pervades life these days. We go, is that a road skunk or is someone getting high? I don't, I don't know. Maybe both. I don't know. It's Florida, you know. So, but, 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 right, we can smell. We, when we taste stuff, we go, man, can you taste this? Normies don't taste like we do. Normies don't hear music like we hear it. Everything we've got is turned up to 11. We are overly sensitive. The second thing is we are childish. Am not. One time, I had a girlfriend before I got sober, and she goes, we're going to go have dinner with my mom tonight. I go, oh, no, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Yes, we are. I don't, your mom doesn't like me. I don't like her. Well, no wonder she didn't like me. I was bed surfing, right? And I just happened to be surfing in that bed at that particular time. And the way I claimed my bed is I would go out and buy wild sheets, and that it was like a flag for me, right? So I had these pink flamingo sheets with this girlfriend. And she goes, we're going to have dinner with my mom. Am not. Yes, we are. Am not. 
And I thought I could rip my T-shirt off like the like Hulk, right? And I was in the bathroom, and so I started to try to rip this T-shirt off. You can't really rip T-shirts unless they're scored to be ripped, you know, like, like Hulk's had a cut in the neck, and then he just ripped it off. But I, I just struggled. I got caught up in the thing. I fell through the shower curtain and slammed myself down into the bathtub, and then I said, okay, we'll go have dinner with your mom, right? But that was being three years old. The third thing that we are is we, have, uh, we are grandiose. We have delusions of grandeur. We are smarter than anyone else in the room. And I know most of you are thinking that right now. You know, even watching me going, you know, that guy's weird. He knows a, a lot of weird crap. However, I'm still smarter than he is. <laughs> and I'm thinking the same thing, man. Looking out going, no, you're not. Right? It's weird. Those are the three things we all have in common. And a delusion is schizophrenia. And then there's depression. It says we are almost without exception, alcoholics are tortured by loneliness. If you have these things, and depression, I knew nothing of depression until God said, um, I want to add something to your dark past so that it will change into a possession that you can separate others from misery and sometimes death. So right now it's going to be your dark present. And after you get through this, you'll have a past to share with others. Therefore, let ye be depressed. (laughs) I didn't know anything about depression. And then this emotional truck parked on my chest one morning. And I couldn't get out of bed. And it was like, holy F-bomb. You know, this, I had no idea. I just thought these people were weenies. You know, I had no idea. This is like. I'm ready to kill myself, not even suicidally, just out of mercy killing, you know. I didn't know where it came from. I didn't know what it was about. But it's in this list. And it's in this list because step five can eliminate all these things. Hurt feeling, hurt pride, anger, self-pity, fear. You know, that, that tortured by loneliness. Depression, remorse, anxiety, irritability. Drive in traffic. If you're irritable, there's some fifth step stuff needed. You still got stuff you haven't been honest about. There's still an obstacle in your path to a faith that works. Right? It's not, it's not your fault. But that's why they wrote it down so we can look at it again and go, I do have this. I do need something removed. I cannot do it by myself. I have to admit it to God and to another human being so they can help me with it. Right? On page 59 it says, we'd have to have outside help if we were surely to know and admit the truth about ourselves. The help of God and another human being Only by discussing ourselves, holding back nothing, or as Christopher Walken would say, holding back nothing, right? I hear Chris Walken read that all the time in my head. (laughs) Holding back nothing 
Only by being willing to take advice and accept direction could we set foot on the road to straight thinking. What is the road to straight thinking? What is straight thinking? Straight thinking is the opposite of insanity defined on page 37 of the big book. Inability to think straight. So the opposite would be straight thinking. So it's saying sanity. The road to sanity is blocked by these little things that say, hey, you're irritable. Hey, you have fear. Hey, you're, you're, you're smacked with this horrible loneliness. Hey, intolerance. We're in a really wild time right now, which has been repeated a hundred times in, in this country and thousands of times around the world, which is a division between people in politics over absolutely nothing, over loving or hating the king, right? It's insane, but it's gone on for as long as we've had leaders. But right now, people are getting in AA, are getting so wound up over this stuff. Go, dude, that's not your purpose. Your purpose is on 77, right? Your real purpose. You're free from that because the 10th tradition frees you. It's not a law that says you can't have an outside opinion or an opinion on outside issues. It's, it's, it's magical freedom that says you don't have to. In fact, we just don't. We're, we're, we're on this. Last thing, and then we're going to go. Page 58, what is humility? Well, I had a sponsor, an old man, he used to say, I just say it's being teachable. Well, that's true. That's a good one. It's not in the book, but it's a pretty good one. It's a good one to keep in your hip pocket. Well, how about this one? We learned this one in, in rehab. Uh, <laughs> humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. There, I got it. The problem with that Hallmark greeting card definition is if I accidentally reverse it, I've screwed myself. You know, uh, the definition of humility is not thinking less of myself. It's thinking, no, it's not thinking, I don't know, I'm confused. And I am, right? So I need to go to page 58 in the 12 and 12 to see what the actual definition in the literature of Alcoholics Anonymous says it is. And we should all have this memorized, absolutely. Because humility is what heals the pain. In step seven, it'll show us how we desire humility more and fear pain less. You cannot be humiliated if you are humble. Right? You could not talk smack to the Buddha. It wouldn't stick. To Jesus, wouldn't stick. To more contemporary Gandhi, to Martin Luther King, doesn't stick. You don't think Martin Luther King was spit on, spat on, and, and called the N-word all the time every day? Oh, yeah. But did it stick? Oh, no. Because he had humility. He's just one of, of thousands of spiritual people you can find that you cannot humiliate. Can I be humiliated? D depends on what day, what time, where my head is, right? If I know myself, I can't be humiliated. If I'm trying to be the best I can be, I can't be humiliated. Why? Because here's the definition. To those of us who have made progress in AA, that's a great preamble. It doesn't just say, here, I'm going to put it in the book. It says, ask anyone who's happy, joyous, and free, right? Who's made progress. In AA. 
Not just a member, not just somebody sober. Someone who is happy, joyous, and free. Ask them, and they'll tell you that the, the humiliation, a word often misunderstood, amounts to a clear recognition of what and who we really are. Followed by a sincere attempt to become what we could be. Right? So I can be a jerk and still be humble. As long as I know I'm a jerk and I'm doing my very best to be the best human I can be. I still come off jerky, but you can go, you're a jerk. I know, man, and I am working really hard on that. (laughs) Right? And then one of the things they used to tell me in school, and I used to get D's in conduct and thrown out in the hall is, you know, this doc kid, he talks too much. So for years, when I would hear that, it would just go through me like an icy wind. And now, here I am, talking too much. Right? Talking God's message. So at the end of this chapter, it, it gives us some beautiful promises, some step five promises. It says that you've, you've sat down, you've admitted to God and to uh, ourselves and to someone else. It says that's when we first start feeling forgiveness for these people that we prayed for last week in the invisible column. We suddenly start, it manifests itself. When we take it from what we were thinking and and verbalize it and give it power and truth and speak it into being, like the name of God, I am, right? Like like, like the, the Jewish books of creation, Genesis, where God spoke things into being. We speak this out, out loud, and suddenly forgiveness starts filling us. And it says, provided, oh, here it is again, you hold back nothing, right? Nothing. I know, I, I've got time for one quick story. I had a friend, he's passed away, so I can tell his story. He said, I have a secret. He was from Cleveland, and he was from like a neighborhood that was middle class wasp, white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, you know, just beetle listener, right? Had just really white bread America guy. And, and it, when he was growing up in the 70s, you know, there was a homophobia that, that floated through his neighborhood that, you know, was just, that nobody, it, if you weren't just a regular white kid in this guy's neighborhood, you, you just didn't belong on earth, right? Wasn't that they were prejudiced, they just didn't have an understanding of anything outside of that. And, and so he had a secret that he was never going to share with anybody, even after he got sober. And he said the secret was that he would sneak away from his wife, his young wife. They were newly married. He was in his, his late 20s. He was also a heroin junkie besides being a, an alcoholic. And so he'd sneak away, get high with a prostitute, and then sneak home, right? And he goes, that's not the part I, I, I would never share. This was the part. He said, one time, I was with the prostitute, and, and she was getting dressed afterwards, and I was getting dressed, and she, she asked me, she goes, hmm, have you ever had sex with a man? And he said, I said, oh, no, of course not, never. And she said, you have now. <laughs> and he said, that was the thing I was never going to tell anybody. And then he became a circuit speaker, and I I know he told that very story a hundred times if he told it once, right? That's, That's being made free. 
right? I'm not locked into this crazy stuff. Provided you hold back nothing, right? If you tell your sponsor that you had sex with a zebra, he will say, at least yours was alive, Right? They, your sponsor weirdly has always done worse stuff than you will ever admit in step five. It's a beautiful thing. Provided you do that, your sense of relief will mount from minute to minute. The damned up emotions of years break out of their confinement and miraculously vanish as soon as they are exposed. As the pain subsides, and make no mistake, there will be pain. A healing tranquility takes its place. That's humility. And when humility and serenity, and you have to know what serenity means, doesn't mean being calm. It means a spiritual gift of vision to see things crystal clearly. Serene, it was a word held back for the use only by popes and kings could have the vision of serenity. But when we, we're given it in this program over every day, serenity, you have the vision, you're above the forest, you can see things with crystal clarity now instead of the craziness in Plato's cave. When humility and serenity are so combined, something else of great moment is apt to occur. Many in AA, once agnostic or, at the, or atheistic, tells us, that it was during this stage of step five, that that afterglow of relief, that he first actually felt the presence of God. And remember, we're on 11. So when you feel that, you know you feel it. And even those who had faith already often become conscious of God as they never were before. This feeling of being at one with God and man This emerging from isolation through the open and honest sharing of our terrible burden of guilt brings us to a resting place where we may prepare ourselves for the following steps toward a full and meaning sobriety. I'm Doc Alcoholic. I'll see you next week. We have a secretary, and that secretary is Megan. Megan. Uh, Hi, my name is Megan, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, uh, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. Now I have asked Kelly to come up and read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why uh, many people in this group identify as uh, recovered rather than uh, recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Hi, recovered alcoholic named Kelly. Hi. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. 
but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Kelly. A 1940s-style big book sponsorship from forward to second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some uh, relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. We've seen, felt, come to believe, and experienced um, is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach, approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Could I please have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics in the room? Now, could I have a show of hands of anyone needing a sponsor? Okay, we'll get with one of these people after the meeting that had their hand raised, and we can... Uh, help you find the way to God. <laughs> oh my God. Um, okay, so this is the last meeting of the month. Um, could anyone who is celebrating a year or more this this month stand up um, in place? And I'll call on you to uh, January, the month of January. Kelly with three years. David, three years. Okay, so we have a few announcements tonight. We don't have um, the projectors like we usually do. Um, but we have um, AA's Got Talent is coming up this Saturday. Um, and then I'd like to ask Robert to come up and tell us about Chris R. tickets. Is that those tickets? Oh, yeah. I'm a real alcoholic, and my name is Robert. Doc, I love you. Man. Hey, um, recovered but not cured, without a doubt. Just call home and ask my wife, my next-door neighbor, or my boss. If you want to know how I'm doing today. I have tickets for Chris Ray. We'll be coming to Jensen Beach the 15th of February. Langford Park. You do need a ticket to get in. That's why there's no flyers out um, because we don't want people coming that can't get in the door. The fire marshal in Martin County is very strict. I do have them available if you'd like some after the meeting. They're $15. As my friend Pat said, uh, they come down here to pimp. And if you don't get them tonight, you can see Danny will be at Pat's Monday meeting next week. Thanks. Thank you, Robert. Um, and just a couple other things. Um, the merchandise we have for purchase and for the um, contribution, we also accept um, Zelle and Venmo. Um, and another thing, please, um, tonight, no smoking out front. If you'd like to smoke, go all the way around the corner. Um, Please join us Monday nights for the Big Book Study Meeting, where the book comes alive. Fellowship is at 6.30, and the Big Book Study starts at 
Um, we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, the little red book, and big book dictionaries for sale. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. See you all next week. We have tonight's session and all the past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everybody to our Monday night big book study. Those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Let's close seated with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. See you all Monday or next Thursday. Godspeed. I am desperately in need of restoration.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Time in my life. 
are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time right outside my door. Change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Cause this broken man I travel far and wide through the great divide through his own heart, yeah. Just about to smile. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. The fog is lifted, see the light, count my blessings when I go to sleep at night, and I dream now. Ten years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?